like I was thinking about how I felt today, and I, I, I feel great, actually, but, but I feel a little, I was feeling a little just sort of uh, disconnected earlier. You know, we, we traveled here yesterday, and some days I, 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 I'll travel somewhere, and the, and the next day I feel totally in the right place, and today I don't feel uncomfortable, I just feel a little disconnected, you know. And I think that happens sometimes when you travel, you know, that feeling of Can you elaborate on that? Like, what would that mean, feeling disconnected? Um, it means you feel a little... It means you feel a little withdrawn, a little, um, I guess, outwardly... I guess I like I I was feeling a little withdrawn today. It wasn't that I was uncommunicative, like I was talking with the people in the band, but I I I, I sort of felt um, a little sleepy also. Right. Because uh, touring is tiring. Sleepy. Right? What's that? Touring is tiring. It can be. I mean, uh, yeah. I, you know, it, it. I've learned if I drink a ton of water. The, when after I arrive from flying, it it helps. I, I I think in the past maybe I just didn't drink enough water, but I drank a lot of water last night and this morning, and I still feel I I was still feeling a little, a little, sleepy I guess. But I feel actually for the most part I'm fine. And and when you, you know? go through this in the past, yeah. and when you've gone through this in the past, yeah. is it? What gets you out of that? Is it just getting more sleep, or is it playing music, or? Uh, well, though sleep is important, playing music is important. Getting getting exercise, which for me is mostly walking. You know, sometimes I go to the gym and I'll work out a little bit, but but um, gyms are kind of boring. I mean, the, for me, the best thing to do is just to walk a lot. Right. You know, I didn't do a lot of walking today. I walked around this area a bit. Um, yeah. And so, so good. okay, so you've been to Toronto a number of times, mm -hmm. and I presume you know the city a little bit. You know some people in the city. Mm, not really, oh. but I but I but but I do know the city a little bit. I don't really know people here. Okay, so I know some people from here. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I know a number of Canadians, and most of them have lived in Toronto at one time or another. But, but when I come to Toronto, I don't really know anyone except okay. you. You know that I can think of. And it's not so, like we hang out all the time. Right. <laughs> right. Perhaps we should. <laughs> um, so I'm talking to Jeff Tumace. Is that the correct pronunciation? Oh, Termas. Termas? Like, like Thermos, yeah. Oh, okay. I always thought it was in the, Okay. Yeah. And, and what kind of what background is that? That's a German name. And do you have any upbringing in with the German culture? or? No, I mean, um, my, my, uh, my ancestors came to the United States a long time ago. Um, most uh, most Americans, and I don't know about Canadians, so I can't say North Americans, but most most people in the U.S. I, I I'm of the opinion that most people in the U.S. who are, who are basically white, they 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 by and large tend to be sort of mixed nationality Europeans, mm -hmm. like. In my case, I'm German, English, and Irish, and I find that combination a lot. People say, hey, I'm German, English, and Irish, you know, I don't know why, 
but my father's people were originally, as I understand it, originally from Luxembourg. At least that's what I heard. And then my mom's people were, you know, English, basically. My, my mom's maiden name was Needham, which is, there was a family, there were, there was, there were Needhams that came over on the Mayflower. Now, whether, the, whether she had, was directly related to those people or not, I don't know, but it's an old name. Wow. So, yeah, you know, European, basically. But, but it wasn't like you were raised with any German culture? Or... Oh, no, no, none whatsoever. It was totally just basic, you know. I mean, I was raised, uh, you know, Roman Catholic. And my mom, my mom was from uh, Ohio and Illinois, and my dad was from uh, Iowa, or from Idaho. How did music come into your life? Well, um, you know, I have two older sisters, and they both took piano lessons when I was a kid. And we had a rented upright piano, but I never played at that point. And then when I was in my teens, I have a brother who's a year older than me, and he was taking guitar lessons. And for some reason, and I'm not really sure why, but one day he brought an electric bass home from his guitar lesson, and I started messing around with it. And uh, I don't know. Was I, there anything about I, the bass that you could connect with beforehand? or? Yeah, two things. One, one was, and, and I had just really started listening to music and identifying different instruments. You know, I was probably 16. And 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 I liked I've I, I've always I, I had always been drawn to low register instruments you know bass low horns but you know like like primarily w- when you say low register instruments and you're and you're listening to you know popular music you're talking about bass mm-hmm. um, and I also I think initially one of the things I liked about bass was that. Um, it meant that you would that you weren't standing up front. You were in the back, and I was kind of shy, so I didn't want to be in the front, hmm. you know. And I taught myself to read bass clef. What? Well, how old would you have been at this point? What's that? What age? Uh, seventeen, probably at oh. that point, sixteen, seventeen. And and right around the same time, my, my father was a contractor. He was a, he was a heating and air conditioning contractor. And he got his part payment on a job, um, an upright piano. My sisters were already had already were already grown up and moved out, and there, we didn't have a piano. And my and suddenly there was a piano in the house, and I started messing around with that. And I I basically learned, you know, the rudiments of music theory from playing piano, and um, and also my brother Joe, who's a year older than me, was was taking guitar lessons, and I started messing around with guitar. I mean, I was basically just trying to play everything I could get my hands on. Right. You know, and um, just trying different things. And I've met, actually, I know a lot of kids, a lot of people younger than me that, that, are, that are the same way, like, like my friend's children. You know, I've got, I've got musician friends, and, and, and some, some, of, some of them have kids that are like, they're, 
they're like omnivores musically. They just play whatever they, you know. I, I know kids that play drums and bass and sing and they play guitar and they write songs. And that was kind of how it was for me. It was, you know, I just wanted to do whatever I could do. And what were you listening to? Wow. Um, well, you know, I have five older siblings and we had a lot of records in the house when I was a kid. So there was my parents' music which was singers like Barbara Streisand and um, uh, like Broadway musicals and stuff. And then there was uh, like, you know, the Beatles and the Stones and, um, you know, my older brothers and sisters had records by bands like Iron Butterfly and the Jefferson Airplane and just all this, all this. And plus, one of my sisters was into classical music, so, so I was hearing some of that. And I didn't really get exposed to jazz till much later. But, you know. You were open to all of that. Yeah, yeah. It was all, it was all interesting. And then I personally, let's see, I think the first... LP I ever bought was a Van Morrison record, and I don't even, I mean, I guess I must have, I, I, I must have been into Van Morrison at the time. It was, it was the record that's got uh, Blue Money on it, and, um, I, you know, I was listening to whatever. I mean, I was in high school, I was into Jethro Tull, I kind of liked Led Zeppelin. I was into Elton John. I really liked Elton John. You know, those early Elton John records were, right. were, were good records. Um, and at some point, I remember hearing the band, and I really liked the band. I really liked the the way they layered their music. They had these. They had really interesting arrangements. Now, at that time, I've since I've always liked the band, mm -hmm. and I've since. I've since really gotten to and gotten to love the way they sang, but it's it's funny because when I was like 17 years old, I thought that the singers were really corny, because they sound so they sound like hillbillies. <laughs> now to me now that's great, but at the time I was used to rock singers right. who 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 were much different, you know. So yeah, I liked the band. Um, I guess I guess I guess by the time I really started developing definite tastes in music I was into the I was into the Rolling Stones and I, I, I liked the Stones I liked the band I liked Elton John and then um, I just kept getting expo you know exposed to music that my friends listened to um, all kinds of stuff and then did this influence how you played music or well um, the first music that I played my my like I said I my brother Joe was a year older and um, and we were in we 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 played in bands and those in those bands we generally played a mixture of I can't even remember what songs we played they were like cover songs that we learned and we were also writing songs my brother was actually writing writing songs at that time and pretty good songs I hadn't really started writing songs yet and, you know, I played bass, he played guitar, we'd find somebody to play drums. It was just like kids in a garage, basically. Right. It was basically a garage band. And so I was doing that. I was playing with people that I knew in high school. You know, I was just basically trying to 
I, I was basically trying to play music as much as I could. And uh, primarily playing bass. And then at some point, when I was in my 20s, I think I got into a band that was actually playing in bars. And at that point, I was probably in my like mid-20s and playing, playing, you know, kind of a variety of cover songs and playing in bars. And um, Are you doing anything else? Are you just a musician or are you doing part-time jobs? Or? Oh, yeah, I was doing whatever. I was working, okay, my dad was a contractor. He, he installed heating and air conditioning systems. I worked for him. You know, I had jobs. I had like fast food jobs. I, you know, I had, you know, the, just just kind of kind of the run of jobs you have when you're, when you're in your in your late teens, early twenties. And so, I, but I ended up working for my dad. I was working for him. I was playing in bands. Um, at one point, I moved. At one point, I moved up north, and I was living in Northern California. And I ended up in Santa Cruz. Again, my brother was living there. And, and, he, and we had a band. And in that band, my brother sang, and I played guitar, and somebody else played bass, and somebody else played drums. And that band was not successful. I moved back to Southern California. And... Um, and are you thinking, you know, I'm going to be a musician? Or are you thinking, I like music, I was just keep playing, it's got nothing to do with a career? I didn't really know what I wanted to do until I was like close to 30. And at that point, I was, um... okay, I'll tell you one thing that happened. When I was, when I was living, before I moved up north, I got, ex I, I got exposed to jazz. I was living in a house with like three or four other guys and, and I became friends with a guy who lived, who was from Chicago. And when he went, when he moved back to Illinois, he ended up giving me a, a an LP that, he, that 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 of his that I had liked, and it was Kenny Burrell and John Coltrane. Really, it was a great record. And I started, so I, 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 I kind of I, I started listening to jazz a little bit. And um, and then when I was living in Santa Cruz, I was hitchhiking to San Francisco one day because I had family there. And I got picked up by a guy in a in a Volks, orange Volkswagen, and he was listening to a Love Supreme, which I hadn't heard, and it complete it just knocked me out. What do you think it was that knocked you out? Like why why would it knock you out? The intensity of it. I mean, I, I so 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 this guy this guy just picks me up hitchhiking, and he lights up a joint. And we're smoking this joint, and this music is playing. And I said, "I said, who is that?" Because it sounded like, I mean, I I had, I had heard some jazz, and I, I I already I already had I already liked John Coltrane, but whoever this record was, it sounded so intense, and it sounded like the saxophone was going to explode. And I, I said, "Who is that?" And he says, "Oh, that's John Coltrane. That's a Love Supreme," and that was, like. I just remember thinking to myself, man, I want to do that. And so I lived up north for a while longer. I moved back to Southern California. 
And at one point, I bought a saxophone at a yard sale. And I learned on that, and then I got a better horn. And then I ended up playing in a couple of bands. Like, at that time, we had a, uh, a newspaper called The Recycler. You know, it was one of these things that people put ads in. And mm-hmm. people were running ads in The Recycler for... They were looking for, you know, people to form bands with. And I ended up playing saxophone in a couple of bands. And one of them was a blues band. And I learned, there was another, I was playing tenor sax, and there was another tenor player, and I learned a lot from him. And then I bought a baritone sax. And um, and I was playing in bands with, with guys, who, you know, I, 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 I had, see, I mean, all this stuff happened. Like... At one point when I was in a band that was playing in bars, I got exposed to Jimmy Reed, mm-hmm. and then I got exposed to Howlin' Wolf, and then I started playing in bands with guys, who were, and we were playing these songs, and these guys turned me on to all this other music. Not just blues, but like some African music and some jazz and just all kinds of stuff. Um, and then, and I'm still, and, 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 I'm, and I'm listening to a lot of jazz, I'm listening to a lot of jazz from the 50s, late 50s. I'm listening to Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk and Charles Mangus and all of these guys. And I'm still playing other instruments, but I'm mostly, you know, trying to become a better saxophone player. And then I, and, and, and this band I was in did gigs around, and we did, we ended up playing a couple gigs opening for James Harmon. Right. And so I met James, and, and me and this other saxophone player used to go and sit in and play with James. And then, at, and then at some point, and this was in 1988, James needed a bass player because Kid Ramos and Willie J. Campbell had quit. And Stephen Hodges had stayed in the band, who's playing drums tonight. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he found out that I had played bass in the past, and I ended up playing with him. So I started playing with James in, in 1988. And again, James is a guy that had a bunch of blues records and would make tapes for me. And the guitar player in the band at that time was Joel Foy, who now lives in Dallas. And Joel turned me on to a bunch of stuff. Um, I remember being in a record store in Eugene, Oregon, looking through the record bins, and there was a copy of uh, Blues is King, B.B. King. And Joel said, you should buy this record. So I did. And, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a great-sounding record. You know, it's a poorly recorded, recorded record. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of the great records. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of the intensity of it, and and also, I mean, as a the singing on that record is just so it, it's it is so intense, and um, and also, uh, most people seem to think that the bass was added to that record later. Um, I don't think B.B. King had a bass player in his band at that time, but when they when they made that record, they it there's a bass player on it, and it sounds as though they had a guy come in after the fact and add bass to it. And the bass playing on that record, it's like a textbook of how to play urban blues, how to play you know uptown blues. The bass playing is so interesting and and really good. So there was that. Plus, it's a great record. Anyway. Um, so I played with James and I was writing songs at that time James ended up recording a couple of the songs I had written and uh, 
I did that. I was in James's band for almost six years, and then I, I left James's band. I was in a relationship with Jennifer Magnus, and we got married, and you know, all this stuff has happened. Maybe you should ask me some questions. <laughs> okay, let me ask you about being a multi instrumentalist. Oh, sure. So you start off with a bass, mm-hmm. and I can see the. I don't know if it's a natural trans, transition to the guitar. I can I can see how. One can play the bass and also play the guitar, and vice versa. I mm-hmm. know they're two different instruments, and the oh, approach yeah. is very different. But I can get that. But so now you start looking at other instruments, and I know you play banjo and oh, yeah. mandolin and whatever. Like you, so, when you when you decide that you wanted to maybe get into jazz and play saxophone, how different was the approach to learning that instrument compared to guitar and bass? Well, um, not that different. I mean, I, I, I learned I learned guitar and bass mostly by playing with other musicians. Like my brother and I would just sit around and jam, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then we would get together with other musicians and learn whatever songs we had written or just jam on real simple chord progressions. Um, and I just kind of learned by doing it. Now with sa- And with saxophone, I had to learn the, the rudiments of it alone. So I, like, I was living in an apartment. I don't know when this was. This was like in the mid-1980s, I guess. And uh, yeah, like 84 probably. I was living in an apartment and I used to go to this park at night and practice, you know. Um, and that's basically how I learned my scales and how I started to learn patterns. And then I, I was playing in bands and I, I, I was basically like, I was playing in this one blues band and we were doing a lot of, a lot of songs with, with, with horn parts. So I, I was, I, I was learning these parts and I was, again, I was kind of learning through playing with people. But before that I had, I had had to have a period where I just kind of figured it out for myself. Did that come easy to you? Yeah, relatively, the th- saxophone is not a real difficult instrument. Um, uh, it takes a while to get a good sound out of it. I mean, I, you know, I sounded pretty bad for a long time, and then I started to get a to get a kind of a tone together. Um, and of course, like any other instrument, you know, your your dexterity improves, and your able to your ability to conceptualize on the instrument improve improves if you know the more hours you put into it so eventually i got to a place where i i had like a like an, a you know a basically a passable tone and i could play uh competently and, and at that point i started playing with guys you know started playing in bands but it, it's not it's not a, it's not the saxophone is not a real difficult instrument just on a rudiment on a rudimentary level, but it's quite different from the bass and the guitar. Oh yeah, quite. Yeah. So when you play the saxophone, do you think differently as a musician? Like, let's say you're going to go into a solo. Mm-hmm. Do you approach the solo differently than you would if you were playing slide guitar or guitar? Um, it's a good question.
Like, you know, if I said, to, I, I need a solo here, and I, I said, Can do it on the guitar. To be honest, let's say we're talking about a similar setting. Like, let's say we're, we've recorded a shuffle, mm -hmm. and you or whoever has got me in the studio can't decide whether they want a slide guitar solo or a saxophone solo, so I do both. And, it, you know, same piece of music, same key. Um, I'm not going to end up playing the same things because certain patterns, like, like certain patterns uh, fall easily on, 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 let's say I'm playing slide guitar, there are certain patterns that are just gonna I'm gonna fall into because they're things I've done before, and there are, there are, there's another set of patterns I'm gonna fall into on saxophone. Now I could choose to play the same thing, the the same notes on either instrument. Right. It wouldn't really be that difficult, but I probably would not choose to do that and intuitively just play whatever felt right. Um, which would probably end up being different things. But the actual process of like, it's, it's very intuitive. It's an, unless, unless, unless I've, I've, unless I've like taken the, the, the recording home and like listened to it and like tried to come up with something that was more composed the process of, of just improvising a solo is very intuitive. You just kind of, it's based on what you've played in the past, frankly, and what you feel it needs, and just how you're feeling right then, you know? So at what point when you picked up, after you picked up the sax, can you execute almost anything that came to your mind? <laughs> like to say, I'm not limited by my talent or whatever that if I, I picture a solo and I can execute it oh well now everybody wants to get to that place um, you know there was there was a point I, a couple of years after I started playing saxophone I decided that I was going to devote myself to it and practice as much as I could because because I wanted, I wanted to be able to play jazz. I wanted to be able to play like Sonny Rollins or somebody. Right. And I was practicing a lot. And I never got to that place where I could just play that, that fast and that fluidly and with those many ideas. I never got, I never got to that place. And, and it's either because I didn't, I didn't do it, I didn't spend enough hours on it, or because I'm just not that kind of a player. Like... Um, guys that play that way, it sounds cerebral, but there's something going on that's beyond thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's based on learning patterns, and it's based on intuition, and, and there's a certain amount of thinking involved. But it, like I can't even describe the process of, of improvising. But... Any musician who improvises wants to get to a place where they're not held back by their limitations. But everyone has limitations. So 
I've gotten to a place as a, as a musician where I feel like I can um, play relatively simple solos. And when I say relatively simple, I, I, I mean compared with somebody with a very high technical proficiency, right. like, like, say, Sonny Rollins, who's like about as technically proficient a saxophone player who's, as who has ever lived, mm -hmm. you know. Um, just I just use it, him as an example, but he's also like one of my favorite guys. Um, compared to him, I play at a very low level, but but I have I I have I have a good feel, and um, if it's not really demanding music, I can generally rise to the occasion, so, so to speak. Certain musicians spend years or the lifetime yeah. perfecting their own instrument, yeah. whatever it might be. And when you have multiple instruments and you say, okay, I play the bass and you get to a certain level, you play yeah, guitar right. and you get to a certain level, and then now you tackle saxophone, what happens to your bass and guitar playing? Well, you know, I know a lot of guys who play more than one instrument, and I, I know a lot of guys that play several instruments. And I think generally what you want to do is to be able to play at the level of whatever situation you're likely to encounter. Like nobody is going to call me up and ask me to play bebop. Right. And if they do, I'll say, I'll say no, you should go call this guy because he can really do that. Um, Nobody's going to, as a bass player, nobody's going to call me up to play at the level, say, you know, a Jaco Pastorius. But, but I can play really well at the level that I need to play at. Like, I can play really well at the level of Mavis Staples, what, what Mavis needs, or what Rick Holmstrom needs. Like, if I go and do a gig with Rick, I know how to play with Rick, and I can play very well at that level. Um... You've been playing with Rick for a long time. I've been playing with Rick for a long time, and Rick, Rick and I have a really good rapport musically. You know? So, 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 you know. Now, would I like to play better? Um, like, like, sometimes I actually do practice on the road when I'm if I'm just traveling with a bass. Sometimes I'll get the bass out and I'll play exercises and stuff. I want to be as good a player as I can. Um, I don't practice a lot on bass. But I would, I honestly would like to be better at everything. I'd like to be. I don't. I don't practice saxophone as much as I would like. I don't practice it very much at all, to be quite honest with you. I don't. Um, and I'm drawn to all. The, I'm drawn to different things. So I kind of, I've. I spread. I have spread myself a little bit thin. Let's say, Rick, for example, Rick just plays guitar. Right. You know, and for me, like. At this point in my life, I'm probably more interested in, in. Like, like I really got into banjo for a while, but I'm not a great banjo player. I've played banjo on a couple of other people's records, but banjo for me is a thing that I use. Um, like I've written a bunch of songs on banjo because it evokes something, you know. Like, like songwriting is tied into all this because. Um, Different instruments evoke different things, and I find I really like banjo as a as a sort of a setting for certain 
things. I've written a lot of songs on guitar. I've written a, a few things on piano. Um, so one of the reasons I've gotten into different instruments is that they serve me as a as an artist, you know, like as a songwriter. Basically. So how important is your songwriting to you? It's pretty important. I mean, it's. Uh, You know, I got to a place, I kind of, I struggled a little bit with this for a long time. I was, I was trying to write songs that were, you know, interesting and, and uh, had some depth, but I was also trying to write songs that, that I thought other people might want to record. And I finally just got to a place where I just, like writing songs, and I don't really care that much how they turn out. Or, I mean, I, I care how they turn out, but when you when you have an idea for a song and you start working on it, you don't really know exactly where it's going to end up, and um, and I like that, and I like the fact that you can create a song out of almost anything, and so I have I've been. I'm not really that interested these days in writing, necessarily writing songs that other people would want to record. I, I, I've been kind of experimenting with the whole thing, like trying to see, just trying to write songs sort of a, a little out in left field, I guess. Not even trying, just, but yeah, trying different things. And, and does that, how does that, how are you inspired to write songs? Is that a discipline that you have that says I need to continually work at it or I only work on it when ideas come to me? Well, you know, people say, you know, when people ask me that, basically I just say, well, I'm always working on something. But I haven't, ri I haven't actually completed a song. The last song I think I completed was... I don't know, it's probably been a couple of months since I actually like finished the song. I'm always writing stuff down and I'm always coming up with things on different on like on like I have a lot of ideas that I've started. I can't tell you how many songs I've started and not finished. Um, I'm always coming up with ideas and if I have the presence of mind I write them down or record them. And sometimes they, they turn into completed songs and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they turn into songs that don't seem finished and then later on they do seem finished. And sometimes 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 they I end up I don't do this so much anymore, but I've had situ I've had times when I I worked on a song so hard that I just basically wore it out and kind of overrode it. Mm -hmm. And it seemed great when it was done and then a month or two later I, I would lose interest in it. I kinda like them when they're a little rawer when they're a little more raw. But it's not like I pick up a guitar every day and try to write a song, but I'm always working on them. I'm always thinking about them. And I'm, and I'm also, I also sometimes I think about the ones that I can't seem to finish or the ones that are finished and, and don't seem right somehow and trying to figure out what's wrong with them. Sometimes you write a song and it's done. You've got You've got, you might have three verses and, a, and, you know, you might have some verses and you might have a chorus. You know, you might have the basic structure 
and you have a beginning and an end, and yet there's something wrong with it, and you can't figure out what it is. And so sometimes, sometimes I just do that. I mean, I usually, to, to be quite honest, if, there's, if I have a song and I can't figure out what's wrong with it, I usually never do figure out what's wrong with it. Although I think I've had the experience of like writing a song and then a year or two later coming back to it and tearing it down and putting it back together and it actually being much better. So I've done that. I've heard people talk about songs come through them and sometimes it's very simple that they write a whole song in five minutes. It can happen. Without any effort and they tend to be good songs and they and can't can explain why. Yeah. I, it, man, I love it when that happens. I really do. And do you know that it's done? Or it's close to being done? Sometimes. You know, it's one of the things I like about writing songs is that there's not a set process. Like, there was this one song that I mentioned a minute ago where I, I wrote a song. It, it seemed finished or almost finished, but I wasn't really that happy with it. And I... And I and I left it alone, and I came back to it, and it, it might have been two years later. I really, I'm not sure how long it was. And I basically, um, I just edited it, edited it. I, 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 I really edited it a lot. I, I, I made it more ambiguous, and I, and I just basically threw most of it out and made it very lean. And all of a sudden, I had this great song. But that took some work. Um, yeah, sometimes songs just come to you out of the air, or like they can be inspired by things. Like I've had songs, I've gotten ideas for songs from things that I've read, for example. And you might read something and get an idea and and write down a few notes, and then you come across those notes a day or two later, and you sit down with an instrument. And all of a sudden, a song just happens, you know. Right. Now that's not five minutes from from idea to completion, but it's pretty darn close to it. You know, you get an idea. Um, maybe you don't go to work on it immediately. Sometimes it's good to wait. You know, I've written songs, not maybe not great songs, but I I, I remember writing a whole set of lyrics while I was boarding a plane. And it's a song that I it's a song that I like. It's kind of a funny song. Um, I remember another time getting an idea for a song and writing a set of lyrics in an airport, like while while I was waiting in line to get something to eat. And that that song is actually kind of interesting. Um, I don't think I finished it then, but I got most of the words then, and then I came up with the music later. Because sometimes you have to write them in in stages. So you know. And um, I've, had, I've had experiences where I would get an idea for a song and write some words on a, on a plane, and I'd, get to, I'd land, I'd get to the hotel, I'd get into the hotel, I'd pull out a guitar, and I would get, say, 70 to 80% of the song in a few minutes. So, yeah, you know. Like but these instruments you know. that you play, you said yeah. that when you play the banjo, it, it sparks a certain mood, a certain it can. feel to it. It can, yeah. So at this point, is you learning new instruments more 
dictated by the fact that you you hear ideas like songs as opposed to this thing of I want to learn how to play the xylophone or something. Yeah, you know, I think I'm I think I think I might be about done learning new instruments. <laughs> I mean, at one point a few years ago I wa- I wanted to take up the cello because I love cello so much and I just I just threw my hands up and said, "Man, you got to be nuts because you really have to stay on top of the instruments that you already play." Right. And and um Saxophone is is close enough to to cello for me anyway. Okay, so you also produce other people's music. I have, yeah. So when you have, so but but, but 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 actually to answer your, I didn't really answer your question, which is that I would like to become a more proficient player, a better player on every instrument that I play. I'd like to be able to pick up that instrument and play things that aren't necessarily connected with songs I've written. But um, the thing that inspires me to play instruments is often songs, is often my own stuff. So, you know, okay, so it's tight. In. But you were asking me about producing? So is, if you're producing and then you hear a cello yeah, right. in, in the song and you hire a, a competent or a good yeah. cello player, sure. is it easy for you to articulate what you're looking for? musically to that musician? Well, to, to continue with that example, I've only hired a cellist once, and it was, it was interesting because she had a background in classical music, and I had written her parts out, but there were no dynamic markings. Like, usually it'll say pianissimo or... or forte or whatever it'll there will be uh volume markings and there will be markings to to show you we get louder here we get softer here and various uh markings to show how the notes are to be articulated and the music i gave her was just notes on a staff and she asked me about it and i said well you know interpret it um she was playing to a track that had already been recorded, and I said, "Just, just, um, just basically play to the track and interpret it to the track." But, but it, it sort of woke me up to the fact that different people, depending on how they've learned, um, approach music differently. Like this player, she eventually like, she played beautifully. And it worked, but but she would have been more comfortable if if there had been more information on the page. Whereas where I come from as a musician is I try to have as little information on the page as necess- as, as I need. Um, uh, I can read music, but but I like it when when there's just kind of a skeleton there, and I can kind of bring the rest in myself. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. But. Um, it does. So how different is your approach to playing music um, when you play with Rick versus when you play with Mavis versus when you do your own thing or James Harmon? I guess what I would say is if I'm doing my own project, let's say I've got a gig with, uh, you know, with I just, I just actually recently did a, a, a series of gigs 
promoting a, a CD that I put out recently. And so I was the band leader, which means I, you know, was in charge, basically, that I, that I, that I uh, decided what songs we were going to play and di basically directed the other band members. Um, if I'm playing my own music and it goes well, it's, I get a great deal of joy from it. You know, there is some, I'm, I'm not, um, by temperament, I don't think, like I'm not the kind of person who naturally wants to be a band leader. I kind of came up as a support player but as a songwriter, you know, I, I want to do gigs. I want to play my own music in front of people. I think I'm an okay band leader. I think I'm pretty good at giving other musicians direction. I think I'm pretty good at, at communicating. I think I'm relatively easy to work with. And I think that my songs are... I think most of the people that, that play with me like my songs. You know, they, they find them challenging and somewhat interesting, let's say. Um, it's a lot more work. If you're the band leader, you gotta, I mean, you, you gotta be prepared, you gotta show up, you gotta play your own stuff right and, and pay attention to what everybody else is doing. You gotta make a lot of decisions. So, so if I'm doing my own gig and it's going well, it's, it's, it can be kind of nerve wracking, it's a lot of work and it's also it's it can be very a really joyful thing it can mm. be it can be really fun and i if if i'm playing if i'm playing a gig of my own and it goes well i feel very alive you know and then the next so so there's that end of the spectrum and then on the opposite end of the spectrum there's a there's like when i'm playing with mavis it's it's pretty easy most of the songs i've played many times I know what my job is. If I, I and if I'm singing background, I know what my part is. Um, I don't have to decide very much. I just basically show up, play the song, try to play with everybody. There might be a couple of new things I have to remember, but there's basically my job is just basically is is to support Mavis and to play with the other musicians. And then sort of in the middle of that spectrum would, would be doing a gig like playing with Rick, where I know Rick's songs, but there's a little more improvisation involved than playing with Mavis. It's not as cut and dried. Um, it's, it, in other words, it's looser. And then usually Rick will have me do a couple of my own songs, so I be, become, in effect, the band leader for a couple of songs. So, so if I'm doing a gig with, with Rick or somebody like Rick, um, there are there are more choices and more cre more creativity involved than doing the Mavis gig, and less fewer choices and a little less creativity involved than doing my own gig. So it's kind of it's kind of cool. It's kind of like 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 playing with somebody like Rick, who's who's a who's a very good player, who's a good band leader, and who's got good material, is creative enough to be a lot of fun and a lot of joy but really I don't have that much responsibility Rick is the band leader so mm -hmm. I just basically do for the most part what what whatever I think he wants me to do 
you know. Not to say that I don't get joy from playing with Mavis, but it's, I mean, who wouldn't get joy from playing with Mavis Staples, you yeah. know? And Rick and Hodges are guys I've been playing with for years. It's very easy, and it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a, good, it's a good bunch of people, and it's great music. It's, it's very joyous. But when you're doing your own thing, when you're playing your own music, and you're creating something that you've had in your head, you know, and it's you're playing it, you're putting it out in the world. There's just there's nothing like that. It's it's a great feeling. But you said that you're kind of a reluctant leader. Somewhat, yeah. And even when you said <clears throat> when you said you started to play the bass, mm -hmm. you liked the bass because it was in the background, mm -hmm. right? So, so is it difficult to be this leader of the band, or is that just when I first started doing it, um, yeah, I mean, when I first started doing it, I was a lot less confident as a singer. I was a lot less, uh, I, I, I wasn't as good a communicator. I, had, I just had a lot less self-confidence on every level. And I've done enough gigs and been a band leader enough times to where I, I've gained self-confidence, I've gained experience, and it's it's not it's not it's not super hard. It's not like the the part about it that makes me the that makes me nervous is I just want to show up prepared, and so sometimes I, I've had gigs where I actually practice too much, where like I kind of I kind of um, I don't know. You can get to a point where you certain songs you can get to a point where you you sort of maybe overthink them or something i can't quite explain it but i mean you, you got to practice and mm. you got to show up prepared if anybody does if it's your own gig you have to show up prepared but sometimes you show up and you're not having a great night and you fumble a little bit you know but i've you know you get through that stuff i mean i i guess I guess I don't, I don't, I don't worry about it the way I used to, and I've just gotten better at it. So, when I, if 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 I, if it sounds like I'm a reluctant band leader, it's actually I like I like, I like being the band leader. I've come to like it, but it, but it was an acquired thing. But it's know? also difficult because your num I would presume your number one priority is Mavis, and the, and the busy schedule she has. Yes, and then. I don't know if, if Rick's band would be number two. I don't know how you guys fit in gigs. But it, is it a difficult thing to juggle between your commitments with Mavis versus your commitments with Rick versus trying to get your own thing off the ground? For the most part, it's not difficult. Um, I, I, you know, to be quite honest, I don't work that hard at my own career. Um, I write songs and I make records and I play gigs around LA. I don't really tour. Neither does Rick for right. that matter. But is that a goal or not even a goal? It's just what you do when you're when you have downtime. It's kind of more what I do when I have downtime. I mean, I have thought about pursuing, you know, a solo career. Um, I guess I'm not at least so far in my life I'm not motivated enough to actually do that. I'm comfortable doing, I'm, I'm comfortable with 
holding on to the Mavis gig and then doing other stuff when I'm not playing with Mavis. Um, if I had a gig of my own and Rick called me to do a gig, I, I would I would be very comfortable saying to Rick, hey, I can't do that one. I mean, I've there, there have actually been a lot of Rick gigs that I haven't done for, for whatever reason, right. he, you know. And he, he there are other guys he can call. And um, so after Mavis, I guess my number one priority... So I guess I would say my number two priority would be my own stuff. But I, I've only, like in 11 years, I think I missed one Mavis gig. And that was because of family stuff, you know. In the 11 years, so you started in 2007 with Mavis. Yes. What have you learned? I mean, I presume when you first started with her, yeah. you're, it took you to a different level. Like I know that musically it might not be as improvisational or as challenging, but exposure-wise and the number of people you play to and, and the crowds that you play to. Yes. And I would think that maybe the level of the show is a little at a different level than what you would do. I would say so. So what did you? What have you learned from that experience? Like, did, did you get into Mavis's band and it just fit like a glove and it was easy transition? Or was it like, oh, we got to step it up a little bit. We need to know how to project to tens of thousands of people. Or You know, to be quite honest, I don't think that we've done anything much different than what... Like, I've done, I've done a lot of gigs with Rick and, and Stephen Hodges over the years as a trio... And what we play, what we do with Mavis is a little bit different. It's more standardized from night to night. Right. Um, we pay a lot of attention. You know, we Rick, Rick, of course. Um, Rick and I have both played behind singers, and when you're playing behind a singer, you pay attention to the singer. You know, you 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 go with the singer and and take your cues from that person. Um, but in terms of the energy and in terms of kind of where we're coming from in terms of our style, it's not that different. I mean, Rick and I both came up playing blues and we've played a lot of soul music as well. And um, uh, so what has changed or what have I learned? Well, it's made me a better musician. Okay, and it's made me a better musician partly because of the venues that we play in. Because I play, I was playing more um, bars and clubs and some festivals, and with Mavis, it's festivals and a lot of theaters. And theaters are sonically better environments. You can hear everything better. And theaters kind of discourage you from playing really loud because you're already, the room is already taking care of that. So it, it encourages you to play at a greater dynamic level. You can play really quietly and everyone will hear you, and you don't need to play super loud. Um, and so, okay, so playing with Mavis because of the venues we play at has made me a, a better listener and a more dynamic musician. And... Well, I've learned a lot about, uh, I've learned a lot about Mavis, obviously. Um, it's made me a better 
singer because I've been singing background with two really great singers now for, for you know, all that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Donnie Gerard's been with us for the whole time, and we've had, uh, we have Vicki Randall, and we had two other singers before Vicki. And so I've learned something about, I've learned more about singing, specifically background singing. You know, I've, I've, uh, I just in every way I think I've become a better musician, you know, just better at showing up and playing at a certain level consistently, you know, right. because you have to, you know, you basically show up and bang, you just do it. And that, and that learning to play, learning to be as consistent as you can um, has made me play at a, at, at a higher level everywhere else. Like when I go play a gig with Rick, I play better because I've been playing at this very consistent level with Mavis for all this time. It's funny, because I've had numerous discussions with Rick about performances that I've seen. Really? Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I would say, like, that must have been like a 9 or a 10. Yeah. And he'd go, oh, I think it was like a 6. Okay, sure. <laughs> and I understand that, because I think you would have a higher level of, um, or higher goals to set. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, as the audience, see... Maybe it's in the band, and I'm blown away by it. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think for you to be blown away by the performance, it has to be pretty amazing. Yeah, because you do this on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, different things are going to make a will make a performance memorable. Um, I mean, obviously, the quality of the performance. Right. Also, the interaction with the audience. Also, the venue, if it's like a, a great sounding venue, you might, it might make it more memorable. Um, in Rick's case, like, like for me, I might have a really great night playing bass or a ton of fun playing bass, but um, in general, people aren't going to notice it or remark on it as much as if Rick is having a great night playing guitar. And, and I don't have... I'm not going like like I really I love to play bass, um, but oh it's it's just a different thing like like Rick is Rick has some opportunities in the set like he usually does an instrumental and he has some opportunities in, in the set to really put his music out there in a in a very direct way and with me as a bass player I'm I'm kind of more of the ensemble right. you know entirely. But still, like he and I will often talk about a performance afterwards, and we generally agree with you know which ones were good and which ones weren't. Right. You know. And the fact that you have such high standards, did you always like? Was there a point where you might have had less standards, high, less standards, and it's grown? And 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 then by joining Mavis's band, like, did that have to get redefined? Well, I'd like to say that I always had high standards, but um, you don't always, uh, like, for one thing, your ideas about what's good and what isn't good change from year to year and change depending on the situations you're in and the people that you play with. Mm -hmm. I've never done... I've never done a gig... as I've never worked with anybody as long as I've worked with Mavis... And I've never, 
And also the Mavis set doesn't change a whole lot. We do new material from time to time, but we're there are songs in the set that we've been doing the that we've that, that we've been doing for eleven years. Right. You know, um, and you want to you don't you you don't want to you want to continue to feel like you're having fun playing those songs and that you're still getting into something new with them even though you're essentially playing the same thing that you've played you still want to have this feeling of you know renewal is that difficult some nights um you feel less inspired than other nights does it surprise you at times like other times when all of a sudden you just think oh my god that just sounded unbelievable or that that was just different you know once in a while i mean i try to change things up from night to night in real little ways just play like a different run here um although sometimes you you know it's interesting once in a while i'll have a night where i try to play as simple as possible like i remember i've had a couple of gigs where i thought i want to try to play this song like i'm a beginner and try to play it as simple as i can in other words just like do little things to make the gig more interesting um does it well? Sometimes the band surprises me, like sometimes Rick or, or Hodges will play something that I didn't hear before, and or sometimes everything just comes together in a really great way. And then to be honest, sometimes there are nights where nothing's coming together, and the audience might think it sounds great, but up on stage it, it just feels like something's not right. And you might be able to to figure out what it is, and you might not. You know, it's it, it's it's not grooving. Or Mavis seems ill at ease, or everybody just, you know, you just have nights where, where. You don't feel like the people on stage with you are, are your enemies, but you're not sure they're they're your friends either. You <laughs> right, know? and also I mean, sound not, not too, everybody, right? yeah. but, but yeah, sound sound changes, um, but. Uh, hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting. These are, these are good questions because they make me think about things I hadn't thought about before. But I think it's natural as you get better at something that your standards get higher. Right. They just do. It's, it's, it's a given. Like if you're, if you're a beginner at anything, your standards are, of course, necessarily going to be really low. And I've been playing with Mavis... And I've gotten to play with uh, some really great musicians. You know, a month or so ago, we did a gig in, in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center, and I got we got to play with uh, Bruce Hornsby and Alison Krauss. And Alison Krauss is a formidable musician, and I hadn't realized what a great singer that she is, even though I've heard her on records. But... Mm-hmm. Sometimes you hear somebody on records and you know that they can you know they're a wonderful singer and then when you hear them live yeah. it you're you're moved in a way that you would never have been from listening to a record. So I've gotten to play with some people who obviously have really high standards and um or at least they seem to and I you you know your standards just get higher and you 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 expect more of yourself, I think. Tell me about playing with Mavis. I mean, what does that mean to you? You know, a couple of years before, 
Do you know Do you know Jake Labatz? No. Jake is a is a singer. He's a guitar player, songwriter. He's kind of blues influenced, but he's a he's a good he's a very good songwriter and a great singer. And um, he's lived all over the U.S. I I don't know where he's living now, to be honest with you. Maybe Chicago. Um, a few years before I started playing with Mavis, Jake turned me on to the Staple Singers, and he, he loaned me a, a Staple Singers CD. It was a Great Day, which is kind of a mid, mid early Staple Singers. I think it was stuff that came out on Chess Records, and. I had a van that had a cassette player, and I made a cassette of that CD, and I drove around and listened to it a lot. And never thinking that I was going to end up playing with Mavis. Now, right around that time, maybe just after that time, um, Mavis's management was trying to get Rick on the gig. And, and that there's a whole story there that Rick probably told you. But um, So my, 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 my starting to discover the Staple Singers came just before that, or, or almost right at, the, right at the beginning of that period where, where there was some talk of us playing with Mavis, but that didn't happen for a couple of years, two, three years. And, and I, I was listening to the Staples Singers, and I mean, some of those records are just magic, magical records. And um, getting to play with Mavis is... Well, there's at least a couple of things. One is um, getting to play with somebody who what they've this is what they've done their whole life is sing, and Mavis really knows how to give herself to an audience, and it's inspiring to work with her because she's she's open-hearted and she's a total pro. I mean, Mavis is a professional. You know, she gets out there. If she's not having a good night, if she's not feeling it, if she's in pain, it doesn't matter. She does she does her show. She does the Mavis show. Right. She she just does it. She just brings it. Um, I have seldom seen Mavis give a performance where she, you know, there's a certain mark and where she fell short of that mark. I mean, you know, so so there's that history of all that great music that she made with Pops and with her siblings and then there's Mavis as she is which is this really funny cool person who's just a gas to hang out with who's this great professional who's a who's still a powerful singer so yeah it's inspiring to work with Mavis and also um, getting to work with Rick and Steven I just love those guys. I mean, I just I just love those guys, man. I mean, uh, they're both really good guys. They're interesting musicians. They kind in a way they kind of insist on having a style. Stephen Hodges is one of the most um, uh, inimitable musicians I've ever worked with. Nobody sounds like the guy. You know, and then Rick has got a very well-developed style. And the thing that you want as a musician is you want somebody to put on a record and go, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. 
and be able to know from the from from just a, a few notes oh yeah i think that's so and so you know you want a style where people can identify you and those guys both have very identifiable styles um and they're they're good guys they're they're just great guys to to work with and hang out with you know and then we got you know donnie and vicky who are great people great musicians um they're both they both you know donnie's had a had a great solo career and so is vicky for that matter and they're 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 wonderful musicians they're very professional they're extremely intelligent perceptive people so it's a, it's a really good crew but I, I just wanted to especially say that I love working with Rick and Steven mm-hmm. and it's great being able to work with people for that long you just you know you just get a sense of I don't know it, it just it works it works real well so but Jeff thank you so much for this I, I, I've seen you for years and years and it's I, we've chatted before but it's um, a real pleasure I'm so glad you asked me Marco I'm really glad that you asked me to do this I mean very few of us wouldn't want to be asked questions about ourselves you know and but they're not always easy questions to answer you know I mean uh, it's been interesting and, and really cool so thanks for asking me well thank you so much Thank you.